Welcome to Walking in Faith with Pastor Rob Currington. This podcast is dedicated to helping develop lifelong seekers of the Kingdom of God. Each week, Pastor Rob helps bring God's message for living to those seeking a richer and more Christ-filled life. Now let's join Pastor Rob as he shares this week's message. And turn to first or second Samuel chapter seven as we continue on the five promises of Christmas. I'm gonna open up by sharing something that all of us know is that we live in a broken world. We see it all around us. We can read it, we hear it. There's no escaping the fact that injustice. Racism, prejudice, class warfare are rampant. There's no shortage of political, cultural, or religious messiahs who come proclaiming that they alone have the answers and then demand that we bow down and follow them. And in their wake, they litter the landscape with broken promises, bitterness, resentment, frustration, and anger. Eventually, this leads the populace to feelings of hopelessness, looking for another savior to lead them to their own self-designed promised lands. These past few weeks, we've been looking at the five promises of Christmas. The first week was the promise of a savior to rescue us from our sin. Secondly, then there was the promise of a prophet to proclaim God's word. And then last week was the promise of a priest to reconcile us back to God and the purpose we have to ask is why is God giving us these promises and the answer is very simple is to right that which is wrong to make right what went wrong you see in the beginning when God created the heavens and the earth he created humanity to rule over his kingdom They were to meditate on his rule or meditate his rule over all the earth. The scripture records God's command in Genesis chapter 126. When the Trinity said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let him have dominion over the fish, the sea and over the birds of the heaven and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man, he says, in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and God said, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth, subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the heaven, and every living thing that moves on the earth. That was God's mandate for all of humanity. But as you and I know from our study in Genesis, as we move to chapter 3, man rejected God's rule rebelled against him, putting all of humanity under the wrath of God, deserving his righteous judgment against us and falling under the curse of sin and death. And no one is untouched by that rebellion. And like God's people centuries ago, you and I need a king. You and I need a king to mediate God's kingdom, to right that which went so horribly wrong. We need a king who will judge and rule and defend God's chosen people in righteousness and to proclaim peace to all nations. And today we're going to focus on the promise of a king, Jesus Christ, who fulfills that, who came in order to put all of his enemies under his feet, Scripture says, and to shepherd God's people. 
We join this morning with the angels and all the saints before us singing glory to the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. So this is our fourth promise this week. The fourth promise is of a king who will bring and rule in right and justice, peace and righteousness. So with that, let's read the promise in 2 Samuel chapter 7. It's here on the monitor if you need it, but hopefully you have your word, the word of God as well. And in 2 Samuel chapter 7, we see this promise to David in verse 11, where God says, David to David, I will give you rest from all of your enemies. Wherever the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. And when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you, and your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. Father, we come before you this morning to ask for your grace and mercy to be extended to us as we open up your word and listen to what you have for us. May we see things anew in a fresh way. Father, let us, let us be yearning for your word. Let us capture it in our hearts. Let it marinate through our soul. And Father, may we respond to your call to submit, to, to, to respond to your kingship. We thank you so much for your word and for your promises. Lord, may it encourage us, strengthen us, and give us hope this morning. We praise in Christ's name. Amen. The attributes of this promised king, and, and, and Dustin took us through this this summer and showed us that, that Solomon was a, was a type of this promise, but was not the fulfillment of it. But what we see is the attributes of this kingship, of this kingdom, is that his house, his, his kingdom, and his throne, and his relationship with God will last forever. It is for eternity. So the promise is a king who will rule in justice, peace, and righteousness forever. Take your Bibles and turn to Romans 13, if you would. One might ask, well, why do we need a king, especially here in the U.S. of A.? You know, we haven't had the greatest experiences with kings in the past, have we? Today, nations that still have kings and, and queens have really relegated them to mainly to ceremonial uh, duties. They are, for the most part, symbols of a past, of a time uh, long ago. Typically, when you and I think of kings, we conjure up thoughts of tyrants and despots and dictators, etc., so on and so forth. However, kings actually play a large role in serving as mediators for God even today. Scripture commands and informs us in verse 1 of Romans 13, when he says, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. So, so there it is. All power, all authority, whether we like it or not, has been instituted and ordained by God. Verse 2 says, Therefore, whoever resists the authorities, resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. 
for he is God's servant in verse 4, for your good. Now we typically don't think of them that way, but that's what they're for. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is a servant of God. Again, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. Verse 6, for because of this, you pay taxes for the authorities are ministers of God, attending to this very thing. Now, what you and I know that that is not gone as planned. Many times they are not for the good. Many times justice is perverted. Bribes are taken. And righteousness is far from them. In 1 Samuel chapter 8, as we read in our scripture reading, we see the children of Israel, though, are crying out for such a king, for the judges failed. Remember, when Samuel became old, he made judges of his sons over, over Israel. Yet, but they did not walk in his ways, and they turned aside after gain. They took bribes, and they perverted justice. They said, please, give us, appoint us a king to judge us like all nations. And Samuel was not happy with that from our reading this earlier. But Jesus, sir, God said, obey the voice of people in all, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me. And the rejection of God as a ruler is captured by the Proverbs of, of, the, of the author of Proverbs, who observed that there is a way that seemeth right to a man, but the end thereof is death. And so whether we have kings or not, they all many times have gone their own way and perverted God's rule. However, they still serve God's purposes today, which makes us yearn and hope for a king who will rule in justice and in righteousness and in peace. Of course, as you and I read scripture and observe history, we know that earthly human kings have failed to rule righteously and honestly in God's stead. Our rulers themselves are guilty of rejecting God and perverting justice. You and I need an honest judge. We need a righteous ruler. We need a trustworthy defender to mediate God's kingdom, to stand in God's place. We need a ruler because we are disobedient children, rebellious at heart, and considered children of wrath and children of Satan. Now, we don't like to hear those words, but that's what we are born as and into. We're following the prince and power of this world. And this condition is demonstrated through the Old Testament narrative of God's dealing with man and Israel in Genesis and Exodus and Judges, where God said in those days there was no king and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. God led through Moses and Joshua. He then sent judges to deliver them in times of trouble. Yet still man's heart was full of rebellion until eventually they rejected God's rule and they asked for a king. Now generally, and the kings of the Bible times had final authority over all the kingdom. They had their position for life. Their word was law. There was no one higher to go to. There was no Supreme Court. They controlled both the government and the military. There was no escaping their rule. Their history was filled with unrighteous and wicked kings, as we read through the Old Testament, that served only to incur the wrath of God, broken up by a few who would try to follow him, but yet even then they still failed. The promise of a righteous king 
that would bring about justice and peace was an important promise that Israel yearned for. Oh, come thou rod of Jesse, the hymn says, free thine own from Satan's tyranny. From the depths of hell, thy people save. We today are like that. We're very much like them. We're living in a world that is filled with wickedness, bribery, and injustice. It fills our TV airwaves. It fills our internet and our papers. Evil seems to rule the day, whether it's terrorists, starvation, political intrigue, prejudice, and a basic lack of compassion for each other. In Psalms 110, verse 1, God again reiterates his promise to David when David sings, The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool, till I put them underneath you. The Lord sends forth from Zion your mighty scepter. Rule in the midst of your enemies. So Israel was waiting and looking for that promised king who would deliver them from Roman rule, from Persian rule, from Greek rule, from from Babylon rule. But again, in the end, it's even our own sin that imprisons us. But what we see and what you and I are celebrating this season is that God did fulfill that promise. Luke chapter 1 verse 30, I believe it's here on the monitor. We see this in the Christmas story. When the angel said, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and you will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and he will be called the son of the most high. The Lord will give to him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, finish this with me, there will be no end. Promised, fulfilled. God promises that he will send a king who will rule in justice and righteousness and peace. The one that you and I are looking for. Unfortunately, too many times, we're looking for a political savior to save us. We're looking for other religious type leaders or spiritual advisors, self-help gurus to help us through these things of life or cultural icons. Only to find out that eventually they themselves fall prey to the same things that you and I struggle and suffer through. Even this Christmas season is filled with the political intrigue of of just here speaking of the United States. What are we to do? We yearn for that here. We yearn for it for our families. We're concerned about our children and grandchildren. What type of world will they inherit from us? Let me tell you that there is hope and encouragement for the Christian. For Christ has come. We've sung it many times through the heralds. Born is Christ the King, the newborn King, one who comes and delivers us from all of our enemies. I want to share with you how Christ performs the office of the King. And I don't know if you've ever heard of it. We've done it in our adult core class. We've talked in church history about the Westminster Confession. And I want to quote from that because it just captures Scripture correctly. When it states that Christ performs the office of a king in three ways. So if you're taking notes, here's the first one. In subduing 
us to himself. So Christ performs the office of the king by subduing us to himself. Now at, at first glance, you and I hear that phrase, subduing us to himself. And, and I can see right now the hackles rise up, right? We, we put our hands up. Wait a second. The last thing I want to be is subdued. I feel that way every April 15th, 16th, or 17th when I have to send in my taxes. No longer do I want to be subdued. But the psalmist sings in the Psalms 110 that your people, speaking of God's people, will offer themselves freely on the day of your power. In holy garments, from the womb of the morning, the dew of your youth will be yours. Now the reason that Jesus must subdue us is found in the words of the Old Testament prophet who proclaims that the spirit of the Lord is, is upon me. Because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor, he has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, <clears throat> to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. Now, when you and I read this, we're thinking, well, this is speaking to Israel and the Roman enslavement, but it speaks to much more than that. You see, the prophet Isaiah states that you and I are all captives of sin. We're imprisoned by our own wicked and evil passions and desires. And if you're like me, you know that very simply. When you put your head down, when you look in the mirror, when you look in the faces of your children, the shame and guilt that comes knowing that we ourselves are put upon by sin. You see, the confession informs us that Christ, through the power of the Holy Spirit, conquers our natural aversion, rebellion, and hatred towards God and makes us willing to embrace Jesus as our Savior and King. See, you must remember that Scripture tells us that there's none that seek after God. There's none that understand. It says that we are like sheep, that we've all gone astray. We've all gone our own way. Now, there are some here <clears throat> that may want to argue that point. But I'm here to share you that your will is imprisoned. And if Christ were not to come and subdue you to yourself, that you would be shouting and rebelling against God this very morning. So give thanks for the one who's come and opened up your heart and subdued you to himself. The confession remarks that a king is the chief authority over a people and a country. And in earlier times, he was no mere figurehead that you and I think of as kings today. We need a king, it writes, because we are in bondage to sin. We actually serve another king. We serve another master. We are born into slavery. The chains of sin bind us to truly receive Christ. We take him not only as our teacher and as our savior, which what many people do, really what they just don't want to go to hell. It's a fire insurance card. It's a get out of hell free card. But you and I must accept him not only as Savior and as a teacher, but you and I must, must accept him as king. We accept his word and we keep his commandments out of gratitude and love before he's a king who has, who has conquered our enemies. Jesus has been given all authority in heaven on earth, scripture tells us. And he is able to win us to himself. I love the old hymn. He's wooing us with the words of life. He himself is able to win us, care for us in our weakness, and bring us at last by his grace into our eternal home. 
Now here, this is why I believe that this should encourage you, not discourage you. When we say that Christ as king subdues us to himself. So anyone who's going to be a king has to subdue a kingdom. Whether he, is, he, he, he puts himself as king and declares himself king by fiat or if he's born into it, he must subdue the people. Now Christ, though, is not like earthly kings where he subdues us physically. No, he subdues us one heart at a time as his spirit renews our heart and then he renews our affections and we see God in a different way and we move towards him in gratitude and submission as we pick up our cross and follow him willfully and joyfully follow him. So Christ serves as king by subduing us, by knocking off the scales that blind our eyes. Do you remember that day? Scripture says that the gospel is, is blinded by the Satan, by God of this world, that our eyes, that we cannot comprehend it. Do you remember that day that the scales fell off like Paul? When Christ called you, maybe not. It might have been when you were earlier, younger. It might have happened over a, a length of time. But if you could capture that joy and that willingness of understanding that you are captive by sin, but another king comes and he doesn't conquer you by the sword, but he subdued you by the cross, by giving his life. Secondly, <clears throat> Christ performs the office of a king in ruling and defending us, for this is the high, high, high purpose of a king. The prophet Micah declared, You, O Bethlehem, you are too little to me among the clans of Judah. From you shall come forth from me one who is to be a ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days, speaking of a promise. The prophet Isaiah proclaimed that the Lord is our judge. The Lord is our lawgiver. And the Lord is our king. He will save us. Hence why we say that we must obey God's commands rather than the commands of man when they conflict with his. Jesus demonstrates his kingly power by defending us from all of our enemies. And you say, well, what enemies do I have? Well, number one is sin. Sin still commit, continues to have control over us. That's what Romans 6 shares with us. Sin still desires to bark at you and to have you follow its commands. We must remember that Christ defends us and rules over us by defeating Satan who accuses us and seeks to paralyze our ministry with doubt about God's word, about God's character and God's love for us. And also he defends us from the world which still seeks to entrap us into loving and seeking satisfaction in its false promises. And I, and I believe that's so heightened today as so many things are codified against God's word, is now becoming law. Not only that, as he defends and rules over us for death, which is our final enemy, eternal separation from God. The psalmist sings that our shield belongs to the Lord, our king to the Holy One of Israel. We have one that is greater than these things. His shield is over-encompassing. We can handle it. It's tough. It'll stand the test of time. Jesus as king also defends us against the corruption that still resides in our body. By preserving us in his grace, and praying for us as we saw last week. Paul writes in Romans 7. As he is looking into the mirror of his life. 
as he is living through the dark night of his soul, as shame and guilt bears down heavy upon him, he says this, for I delight in the law of God. I love the word of my king and in my inner being, but I see in my members, in my body, I see there's another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Have you ever thought that? Have you ever cried this? Wretched man that I am, Paul says. Who will deliver me from this body of death? This is the cry that many of us have each and every day. But Paul continues, thanks be to God through Christ Jesus our Lord. He is able to deliver the chiefest of sinners. Amen? Which Paul says, I am. So Christ performs the office of king of not only subduing us to himself, winning us, wooing us to himself, where we willingly accept his rule, but also then he rules and he defends us against our enemies, against those that would come and claim a title over us, who would claim, say, wait, he is one of mine. God says, no, it's mine. And see that cosmic battle in heaven as Satan stands before the throne room of God, throwing accusations against you and I each and every day and moment as our sin just continues, as our fight for sin continues, against sin, I should say. But Jesus deflects each and every blow. His shield quenches every dart as he says, no, he is one of mine. He is one of mine. As Jesus' words of prayer goes up for each and every one of us. I am his ruler. I will be his defender. I am his protector is Jesus' words to the Father and to the enemies that seek still to destroy us and control us. Then thirdly, Christ performs the office of a king by restraining and conquering all of his enemies and ours. The Apostle Paul that says, writes that Jesus must reign until he has put all enemies under his feet. And the last enemy to be destroyed is death. So it's not just ruling and defending us, but what you and I can see is that there is an end to this battle. There will be a time where Jesus' kingdom will rule forever with no opposition. Now for you and I, that is so hard to understand. How can I live my life without the presence of sin in that battle? I don't know about you, but that just gets me down. That weighs me down. I feel like I'm walking with cement blocks for shoes. And I'm just wondering, how in the world am I ever going to get through this? But he restrains and he conquers all of his enemies. Again, the Westminster Confession confession, rightly summarizes Scripture when it says that Christ overrules and disappoints our enemies' wicked purposes. He sets limits to their wrath and their anger and their sin against us and to bring a revenue or to bring glory to Christ and to God out of the same. This echoes the words of Paul who wrote to the Roman churches. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. Amen. For those who are called according to his purpose. 
John the Apostle writes that the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. And in Revelation, he proclaimed that they, the Christians, have conquered him, speaking of Satan, the accuser, by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. The confession sums up the kingship of Jesus with the question, what could we learn from Christ executing or being the king? What can we learn from him subduing us to himself of ruling and defending us and by conquering and restraining our enemies and his? The answer is this, that though believers, while in this world we are in the midst of our enemies as lambs among wolves, Yet by this mighty king, as the breaker goes up before them, that they shall be more than conquerors that love him. In other words, yes, we are still like lambs many times surrounded by all of our enemies. And we cry out, where is Christ? Where is our king? It seems like we're just feed to them and fodder. But yet what we see is Christ breaks through and defends us even when we seem surrounded by our enemies and his. What you and I must understand is that Christ rules as king, not today in a physical kingdom, but in each heart, one by one, as he subdues us to himself, as he rules over us, defending us, as he conquers our enemies and restrains our own sin and those powers over us but he rules as king over all the church and the universe as well you and I may not see this physical kingdom but one day we will but in the old testament the king had over the nation had had authority over the nation of Israel but God will have authority over all things in the new testament Jesus was born to be the king of the Jews yet he refused any attempt by the people to make him earthly king but he accepts his role as the universal king Jesus did not have a kingdom whose arrival he announced, or did have a kingdom whose arrival he announced. He is, in fact, the true king of God's people. And after his resurrection, Jesus was given by God the Father far greater authority over the church and over all the universe. And what you and I must remember that we will look at a little bit more in detail next week is that Jesus is going to return to earth in power and great glory to reign. Now, I want to give you three facts about Jesus' reign that you must understand. And I pray that you see that you have a great king. And I pray that he has subdued your heart, that you have gone willingly and lovingly to him and serve him this morning, understanding that he is working all things to our good. But three facts about Jesus' reign that we see from scripture. Number one is that Jesus will reign forever. His reign will not end. For unto us a child is born, Isaiah says. To us a son is given, the government shall be upon his shoulder. His name shall be called Wonderful, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. It says of, of his increase, of his, the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. Jesus will reign forever. The second thing that we must understand about Jesus' reign is that he will reign in wisdom and righteousness. He will not fail as Adam failed. He will not fail as earthly kings have. 
Jeremiah says, the days are coming when I will raise up from David a righteous branch and he shall reign as king and he will deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. Does that mean we should not try to do that today? Yes, we should as much as possible. But the Christian, the believer knows that it will never be finalized in this earth. Hence why Jesus said, you'll always have the poor with you. But one day he'll set all captives free. He'll enrich all those that are in need. Until that day, we need to submit to his rule. The third fact is Jesus will reign over all the prophets and the nations. In Zechariah, it says that his rule shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. There are many today who still shake their fist at the name of Christ, who deny him to their bitter end. There are those who are in hell that will never submit or bow the knee. But here's what scripture says, that God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven and earth and on the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Like the devil's the demons who fearfully said, we know who you are. You are the son of God, the most high. To those who will unwillingly bow their knee, all will. I pray today that you would submit to his rule, that you'll see the glory that he has, that you'll understand that he defends and fights for you, that all things come from him. Until that day when Jesus comes to reign on earth, he comes to rule and reign in our hearts and our lives. And that's what I'm asking you this morning. Does he rule in your heart and life this morning? Have you accepted the promise of God? Luke chapter 17 says, Being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus answered, The kingdom of God is not coming with signs to be observed, nor will they say, Look, here it is, or there, for behold, the kingdom of God is the midst of you. It is now here within us, growing by leaps and bounds, especially in places in which the king and the rulers are very much anti-God. I think of China. That's where the church is growing the most. And you should see what is going on in China in the midst of some some tense persecution even to this day. The rest of the world. Yes, in America, it seems like the wave has come up. But I like what one person said. Like Europe and England, it seems like in America, evangelism has has kind of just gone out with the tide. And you can kind of think of it. You see when when a tide leaves and you see all the debris that's left on the sands, on the beaches. He says, this is what America looks like as more and more people are moving away from Christianity. What is it? One article said that there are more people who, who um, identify as witches than those who identify as Presbyterians today. Witchcraft, witches are growing. Look at Netflix and all those other things, the shows that are coming out more and more of this type of thing. But what I love what he says is that what you and I know as America, as we demone the fact that it seems like Christ is not no longer the king of this, this nation. He said, as we all know, as the tide goes out, what happens? The tide comes back. And his prayer is that the tide is going to come back in America. And once again, cover all things. And once again, Christians and believers will grow. More people will come to call him king. 
I'm not afraid that's not going to happen until there's more persecution. For that is the blood, the seed, or the blood is what seed, waters the seeds of the, of, the, of the message of the gospel many times. Suffering. Are you ready to suffer for Christ? You say, Jesus is Lord, I, I submit to him, but are you willing to not just only bow the knee, but also stand against those that stand against your king, that stands against his word? Our response to him is to surrender to Christ. To allow Christ to reign in our heart. And to let nothing else on the throne. Not the world, not Satan, not sin, not your own pride. Our response to the King of Kings is when he comes, is to obey him and his word. When we pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is heaven, we are asking for Christ to rule and reign in each and every situation in our life. Are you ready to do that? And, and, and despite whatever the consequences it is, despite the circumstances, would you stand and say, Christ is king and he rules in my heart. Colossians gives us a promise. It says, and the peace of Christ will rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful. You may think Christ is not on the throne because you're suffering physically, financially, emotionally, relationship. But let me tell you, he rules in the midst of those as well. I would ask you to consider the implication of Christ coming as king. Scripture says to the king of ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor, glory forever and ever, amen. The only proper response to Jesus coming as king is worship, submission, and proclamation that the king is here, the king has spoken. I know when Elvis leaves the building, everyone says, the king has left the building, or has left. As a kid, I used to love that. We were big Elvis fans growing up. The king will never leave the building. The king is coming. His rule will be in justice and peace and righteousness. Until that day, those things are reigning in our hearts and in our lives and through our church community in spite of the swirl and the sami that's going on around us. Let the world see that Christ is king. Not only at OVBC, but in your home and in your heart. Christ's officer, offices render him glorious, and I'm about to finish here, in the believer's eye, and is dear to the believer's heart. He is an office as king for our salvation, for our peace, and for our satisfaction. James Smith, if I can finish with this, in his book, The Glories of Christ, writes that he, Jesus, is a king who receives the returning rebel, and he grants a pardon. He rules over his people by his love and his laws, and he defends all who trust him from danger and death. He rules over mankind and the believer and is king of kings and lord of lords. And as a king, he saves from dangers and foes. Would you say today, Jesus is king. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. 
with every head bowed and every eye closed, as the worship team comes up, I'd ask for you to take a moment to pause, to consider, to pray and respond to the promise that Jesus is the King. Would you today embrace the rule of King Jesus if you have not? Would you come and bow the knee and submit your heart and say, I willingly and with gratitude and love will come and follow you? Would you repent of dead works? Would you turn and trust that God has accepted the obedience and sacrifice on Jesus for our behalf? That no longer are we under the wrath of God. But when we turn from trying to please God ourselves or please ourselves or earn our salvation, we have one who's done it. And when you submit to his kingship in our life and in all that we do, would you do so this morning? Let's take a moment to pray. Father, you're so good. And we thank you for your promise of a kingship. Father, I pray and thank you that one day that you opened up my heart and you submitted yourself or offered yourself as my king and, and my heart turned towards you in love and in faith. And Father, since that day, you've ruled in my heart. And yes, there have been times in which I've, I've tried to absorb your, your proper role, but yet in your love, you have forgiven and you have directed each and every one of us to follow you. Strengthen us this morning. Strengthen our commitment. And Father, may we rest knowing, Lord, that you are the king of justice, the king of peace, and the king of righteousness. We praise in Christ's name. Amen. We hope you have enjoyed this week's Walking in Faith podcast. We encourage you to share this podcast with others in order to help spread God's message to all those in need. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. Email us at walkinginfaith at orangevilla.org. You can help us spread this podcast by writing a review at iTunes. And don't forget to visit us online at orangevilla.org. There you will find more information about our ministry, as well as share your thoughts, submit prayer requests, and find out how you can help others to grow in God's love. Until next week, may God bless you in everything you do.